Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Use Guys and That podcast. You can find us across all podcatchers, and our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is at UseGuysPod. Email us at info at useguyspod.com or useguysandthat at gmail.com. You can find our entire podcast library at useguysandthat.podbean.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's been a completely uneventful week so far. It's been so boring. There's absolutely fuck all nothing to talk about. Peaceful transition of power between two warlords. It's been it's been a really, really boring week. And with that in mind, we're here to entertain you. And we have a guest with us uh, from out west. Idaho Joe has been so kind to jump in <laughs> here and say hi to us. And we're going to be talking to him today. Joe, thank you very much for joining the program. Thank you for inviting me, Jay. Really appreciate this opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure, man. So uh, you have a page uh, that if, and once again, this will be in the show notes. It's uh, Idaho Joe for congress.org. And, yes. Uh, it's a nice, it's, a, it's an excellent website. I was really, I was really impressed. I guess this is the first time I've ever seen anybody take the bill of rights and basically interpret them into a modern context, according to, I mean, in your own words, so to speak, like, for example, you go to this and it's the first amendment. It's one a government subsidized commercial platform should be subject to the same restrictions on, on control of speech as the government. And then I like number two a shall not be infringed. The problem is not guns. It's the violence, correct? The views yes. on violent behavior and all violence goes down. The, the one that sticks out to me the most, and I don't think, a lot of people think about it this way, and I really want to get your take on this. The third, uh, the the, uh, the third amendment: civil forfeiture and imminent domain seizures by the police or for federal reserves are becoming more common. While the amendment specifically states soldiers, the militarized police of today would meet the original interpretation. I think that that is such an excellent observation, because we on this show have called them the army of occupation which is essentially what they are at this point in time. And I haven't seen anybody else really have that take on the third amendment and bring it back into being relevant. Cause I think most people just bypass it on their way to looking at the fourth amendment, you know, or the fifth amendment, things like that. So how did you come about putting this together? Like did you, how long did it take you to do it and all that? A lot of it has to do with the way I was really brought into the topic and the discussions, because I haven't done an awful lot of real deep reading into, you know, like Rothbard, uh, Rothbard and Hayden, uh, Hayek. Uh, but it's the mutual conversations that go around between people like you and I right now, where we're talking about the different issues and actually stepping back and looking at what's said in the discussion. And the 3A was particularly interesting because that one came to mind, the, the real root of it came to mind when Donald Trump pulled in the National Guard to discuss the BLM riots in D.C. itself, you know, and I'm going, well, we got more than just the National Guard there. And then I started thinking back, you know, honestly, we do have an army of occupation here in the United States. We call them police, but they are essentially the enforcers at the time the Bill of Rights was written, we didn't have the concept of bobbies, you know, in the British sense or police in the current U.S. sense. You know, the laws of the land were enforced by the soldiers. And you start thinking about it and go, well, okay, well, who's enforcing the law of the land today? Uh, the police. 
So you step back and you go, well, okay. So the police are now legitimately an unofficial arm of the military industrial complex because Lord knows the amount of militarized equipment that we've handed them is in relationship to the war on terror. You know, when our military suppliers can't sell to the military anymore because we don't need it, who can we give it to? Who can we create the federal grant? Ah, the police. You know, the police need an MRAP because, you know, there's mines all over the United States. <laughs> uh, you know, police need an up-armored vehicle with a crew-operated weapon sitting on top of it, you know, waiting for, you know, the insurgents, you know, to come out of hiding. Yeah, and it's ironic because all of this goes back to the issues during the Clinton era and even before that with Bush. You know, Bill Barr and the way he decided to handle Ruby Ridge, uh, Janet Reno and the way she decided to handle Waco and Bill Barr's Department of Justice, you know, was vital in what went down in both of those situations, uh, however badly it went down. And we've continued to build on that as far as military police. You know, in the last 20 years, the number of SWAT teams in the United States have gone up. The number of no-knock raids have gone up. The number of people that are going to prison for drugs has continued to rise and go up. Victimless crimes, you know, and it's like, we got to address this issue. We have an army of occupation in the United States and we need to deal with it. Uh, I, I think that's an excellent take. Uh, I really uh, I, you're the first person that I've really talked to that has brought the Third Amendment back into, I guess, the forefront. Uh, and it, again, I think it's overlooked. I want to jump ahead a little bit here uh, and look at uh, in, in the four year interpret interpretation of the Fourth Amendment, excuse me, with the rise of electronic surveillance and genetic databases. The Fourth Amendment and a right to privacy from both government and, cor and corporation is becoming more important. Data privacy should be our first and foremost concern regarding the potential exploitation uh, for or, or potential for exploitation in America. Uh, I think that's an excellent. Uh, I think it's an excellent interpretation. I really enjoyed the Sixth Amendment one. And I'm going to read that one too. the right to a speedy trial and counsel. We have a system that is weighted heavily against the poor in our country to the point where many will plea to a crime that they never committed because they don't have the proper representation. This behavior of the courts is criminal in its own right and counsel, whether for the defense or for the prosecution, should be held responsible for gross miscarriages of justice. There's also the use of uh, deteriorating due process in America. Red flag laws are a violation of our inherent right to security of our person and property. I mean, that's excellent stuff. So, you know, how did you get to this? How did you get to this level? If you wouldn't mind telling our audience your journey to where you are now, like how you started out, what started to, to push you in this direction and how you came to these conclusions, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, a lot of it is, is we have issues here in the United States and we're watching things continue to change. You know, we're making laws day and night, you know, that are affecting individual liberties and the way different institutions work at it. You know, the corporation doesn't exist without the will of the state. The state doesn't currently exist without the will of the corporations. So those two organizations are tied at the hip, regardless of how we want to look at it. We subsidize nearly every major corporation in the United States, making it a de facto government agency. Uh, take a look at how much the NSA has subsidized Facebook, as well as Google, Apple, uh, 
alphabet, you know, in order to maintain information flow on not just U.S. personnel, but people around the world. You know, we maintain databases using Facebook data, uh, Twitter data, on networks, organizations, people. And a lot of these backdoors into these databases are paid for by NSA and other government organizations like the FBI and CIA in order to maintain those. So we need to pay attention to what's going on with that data, not just from a government intervention perspective, but literally we've come to find out that corporations are selling our information, selling our bio data. Uh, right now, the latest hack that hit uh, the US regardless of whether it was China or Russia, as alleged, corporate databases were raided as part of that process. That's genetic databases, which, what else are we doing with genetics right now? Oh, biowarfare. Uh, we're developing medical research based off of who's been affected by COVID. Every one of those COVID individuals, at least half of them have something in a genetic database somewhere key markers that would indicate which genetic markers are more prone to specifics, you know, and these are all owned by corporations. How do you feel about your genetic markers for predisposition to biological warfare agent being available to foreign nations and foreign actors? And we start looking at that rabbit hole and you go, okay, I, I can't go too far down that rabbit hole. I need to be able to address the issue on at least a relatively tier one, tier two level so that we don't get too confused about the details of what's going on. So it's like start running down the rabbit hole and then back off a little bit to make sure that we don't confuse the general issues with specific issues. Well said. Uh, now, I looked at uh, your you have a, a pretty decent um, background on your, uh, you know, as far as yourself, you know, and how uh, you were in the army and all that was your time uh, in the military, uh, a big part of what drove you to lowercase L libertarianism. Absolutely. Uh, one of the first things I did once I got out of the military, aside from trying to recreate myself after separate, you know, get back into the civilian world and find out what was going on, was address the issues that I felt were wrong with our military in Afghanistan and Iraq and the way we were handling our missions over there. You know, the fact that we had no unity of command, the fact that we had no unity of purpose, we had no end goal stated, regardless of which administration was in charge, whether it was Bush, uh, you know, or Obama, or even Trump. So I started getting into peace activism, looking at Veterans for Peace, uh, other organizations, got a little frustrated because, you know, I'm looking at our local Libertarian Party at the time and going, you guys aren't just active enough. And I started looking at the Green Party and, well, at least nobody's in charge, so I can work with that and build on it. And then I started showing up for peace rallies, peace activists, anti-war demonstrations. And then I start taking a look at who's actually putting them on. And I'm going, um, guys, I love your peace activism, but uh, this Leninist Mao apologies, apologism just isn't really flowing with me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I started looking and I got really lucky over the last two years. My first attempt at a libertarian run was for the state. Our previous uh, chair was still in charge at the time. 
And he allowed me to get away with it, despite the fact that I wasn't fully on board with the way the Idaho Libertarian Party was running things at the time. Uh, but we got a real great opportunity shortly after that, because Ginny Emelhoff, who's the current chair, state of Idaho, has been very active, very progressive. We see eye to eye on an awful lot of the issues, you know, not necessarily from a left versus right perspective, but on the areas we can meet in the middle, you know, we're like 90, 95% compatible um, on the bulk of the issues and 100% in agreement on the platform itself. So that actually allowed me to move from that small L we need to decentralize which is a strong part of the Green Party platform into, you know, we can actually move this to full-fledged anarchy, you know, j just take it that one step past the big L platform and go personal responsibility. Let's get it all the way back down to that where we're all responsible for our own selves. And that responsibility includes the ability to ask for help when we need it. You know, it's like, uh, I'm stuck, folks. Can you give me a hand? You know, which is that voluntarism, you know, being able to ask for that hand up and be able to pay it forward so that eventually those people who need the hand up can come back around and help someone else, which is something we miss so much of in the United States today. I mean, literally, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You know, it's like, nah, you're on your own, you know, go ask the government for a handout. Meanwhile, I'm going to cut the government's ability to give you that handout and, you know, suck it up when you're homeless, folks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I well, I mean, that so. happens a lot, too, in the workplace where people are, you know, not willing to help their coworker. Or they'll, they'll step over them to, you know, get an advantage and, you know, kind of take credit for things. So, like, you see that in various aspects of you know, the American lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hey, I want to ask you about this. So one of your, um, one of uh, the, the issues that you have listed is prison reform. Would you like to talk to our audience about how you feel about that? What exactly you mean? And, you know, how could it be achieved? Hey, see, this is one of those great ones because it's an intersectional issue. Okay. We go back 1970, 1971, you know, they were forming the Libertarian Party platform. And they're going, one of the things we believe in is, or we don't believe in is prosecution and the persecution of victimless crimes. Yeah, and this was just coming after uh, Ronald Reagan's Mumford Act and the war on drugs that was being pushed hard by Richard Nixon. Yeah, and you realize that basically these victimless crimes were being used to justify the harassment of anti-authoritarian activists all across the United States. You know, whether you were looking at the Black Panthers, the Young Lords or the Young Patriots, you know, the Rainbow Coalition in Chicago in 1967, you know, the Libertarian Party platform was created to address those violations being created by a growing authoritarianism authoritarianism in the United States. So it's like, we need to go back and say, okay, this stuff is just used to persecute the people you don't like for no other reason than because you don't like them, you know, need to be addressed. So we walk back to the prison reform. We look back at justice reform and we say, you can't put people in prison for crime, for victimless crimes. You know, if 
somebody didn't hurt somebody else. If you didn't hurt somebody else or take their stuff, you know, prison is the wrong answer. So we start looking at prison reform and justice reform and saying, folks, you know, be adults about this. You know, stop sicking the cops, you know, stop carrying <laughs> or whatever it is we're calling it these days. You know, stop swatting people because you don't like them. You know, actually be an adult about the issue and address your political differences, your religious differences, whatever. We can address them as adults. Stop going back to the cops because you don't like people. Well, I think that's excellent. Uh, now, let me let me ask you this. So let's say you're successful in your campaign. Right. You're successful. Uh, you get the seat. What, what, what are some of the first things that you're going to try to do or what you or what would you do straight away as soon as you got your seat? And, you know, they give you the keys and they give you the walk around to the cafeteria and all that, you know, the, 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 what, the welcome to orientation sort of thing. <laughs> like what, what, what's what's the first thing that you're going to go after? I'm going to go after the cafeteria so I can be reminded about all of that army food that I hated so much. <laughs> uh, no, um, no, the, the first big issue for me is the military spending, because that's a big budget item. You know, 700, 800 billion a year going towards military occupation of 150 countries around the world, currently using military equipment to bomb and blow up innocent civilians in seven, eight of them. You know, never mind what we're selling to the Saudis to blow up three or four others. Um, you know, be able to bring our troops home and allow that sovereign nation self-determination work itself out you know and that right there is going to bring you know what is it we spent close to two trillion dollars in the last 20 years on the war in and of itself and that's not even including the maintenance of the equipment that they fly over and bring back that's just fueling miscellaneous whatever that isn't already allocated to the budget for the operation of that machinery and equipment yeah, if we can go back and recoup all of that, even if it's just saying we're not spending that money anymore, you know, that's resources that stay here in the United States. It stays here helping people. It stays here and paying off the debt, paying back Social Security, what the government has raided from it, making it a sustainable you know, thing again, uh, working on that process of decommissioning the federal government by reducing the taxes so people aren't spending a third of their paycheck every month, you know, to a federal government that's spending, you know, a trillion a year overseas in miscellaneous garbage. Um, and that's that's one of the things. Um, taxation that doesn't assist or help the United States. Right? How are we helping the United States by blowing up other nations? What, who, who's winning on that? We aren't. You aren't. I am. You know. So that's going to be my big one. Repeal of uh, the authorization of use of military force from 2001 and 2002. That takes care of the war in Iran or the war in Iraq. We're not at war with Iran yet. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. Yet. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that we'll at least wait until Biden's in office before we kick that one off. But, uh, you know, repeal those authorization of military force to get people out of Iraq, to get people out of Afghanistan. And that will also 
get a lot of our service members out of those other nations that were currently using the umbrella of the authorization military force from 2001 in order to conduct operations in Africa. So that's my big one. Yeah, after that, you know, well, that's part of our bring our troops home message and effort. All right. Well done. Uh, what about the, the movement that it's uh, in, in Idaho, in the Pacific Northwest? Well, more specifically to where you are, do you find that people are more receptive to lowercase or uppercase libertarian ideals? Do you feel that the movement is growing? Do you feel that because of the polarization that has happened, kind of uh, it's almost in an in, in acceleration at this point in time? Do you feel that there are people are more receptive up there, less receptive? Do you feel that it's a good place for growth, stuff like that? We're in an awkward situation here in the Pacific Northwest. I will not lie. Uh, organizations like the Proud Boys and uh, the Patriot Prayer Movement uh, have strong roots here in the Pacific Northwest. And this gets into the problem areas because an awful lot of people all across the United States see the Patriot Prayer and see the Proud Boys as white identitarian organizations, you know, Project Europa things like that, except we've proven you can't use racism in order to judge what's going on with the Proud Boys and those organizations. It's a completely different kind of, no, that's not right. It is the same rhetoric. However, the focus is different. It is a multiracial, they're both multiracial organizations, but it's the strong nationalist roots that make them more constitutionalists uh, you know, that authoritarian Hamilton type nationalism as opposed to a more Jeffersonian liberty movement. So we're, we're working through those issues and trying to make sure people understand the distinction that the libertarian movement is not a nationalist movement. It is not a culturally homogenous movement. It's multicultural. It's bringing people in from with different ideas and different concepts so that we don't get stuck in this stagnated, you know, whatever it is we want to call it, the stagnated traditionalism, uh, especially as new technology comes in and we recognize the impact that women have in America, the, the different cultures have in America, the way we approach race relations, the fact that we see more and more empowerment in minority communities, bringing these diverse ideas, which help create a stronger United States. Uh, yet these other organizations, and, and they do have roots here in the Northwest, uh, still want that traditional, that, you know, for lack of a better word within the libertarian movement, uh, paleo approach to the situation. And it's like, I, I got it. You know, some of you are scared of people with different ideas. Please just go off and do your little covenant community thing. And I won't harass you too much about that. <laughs> but uh, you really need to give everybody the freedom to voice their ideas. So we're currently working through that process, trying to figure out how to take the situation in Washington, D.C., uh, especially considering the number of Idahoans that were prominently on display in Senate chambers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's like, um, yeah, th those aren't our guys. No, no, those, those aren't like our guys. You know, he, that's, that's Trump. You know, they like the king that is rather than the king that will be. Uh, that's not what liberty is about. <laughs> you know, so we're, we're trying to um, dance around that issue. Uh, but our chair, Ginny, she's been working really hard at trying to craft the message. You know, it says, yes, we support actions against the government. You know, we support representation in chambers. We support getting people in there to address our representatives so that the representatives uh, are honest, you know, are working for the people, are working on the issues of taxation without representation, are working on the issues of decriminalization of victimless crimes, uh, you know, just breaking down the doors because you don't like who's about to be crowned king isn't a good justification in the eyes of the Libertarian Party. Uh, and it's one of those, it's difficult because we've looked at it. You know, we've seen voices like Maj Tour come out and say, you know, it's chicken shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, revolution is revolution. We don't care who walks through the doors first. We need to take it and we need to roll with it. You know, heads need to roll. You know, but it's like, how many times in history have we watched the authoritarians take the lead in a revolution and then the anarchists back them up because they want to see, you know, a successful revolution only for all the anarchists and libertarians to lose their head after, you know, the new regime has taken control of all the institutions. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we've documented that those incidences on this show a few times uh, yeah. through our everlasting chain. Um, so, let me ask you this. I'm going to throw as your, your guest. I want to get your take first. Okay. Throw it out to the group here. So about this non-event that happened in this very boring news cycle this week that has uh, transpired. Uh, I want to get everybody's take on yesterday's events. Uh, shout out to my friend Todd, who makes the gay soap uh, and, and Todd the gay. His, uh, his soap is going to be in our in our show notes. Uh, it's homemade soap. He's not a Tyler Durden guy. He doesn't use human fat. <laughs> Okay. I just, Why not? He, Christopher, Christopher really told me I should clarify that because I say he's like a Tyler Durden. Well, you know, I don't want exactly to get people get the impression that he's using human fat. He's not. He's using other natural ingredients. Uh, he was messaging me yesterday like crazy, and he's he's a Trump guy. He's an, and, he, and right. I mean a Trump guy, like the hat. Like he went to the rallies. He experienced. He had a religious experience at the one that happened in Cleveland. Like, he is definitely, he's a trumpet. That's that's who he is. Well, whatever. Right. Fine. Um, he's telling me, he was like, they they stormed the Capitol, and he sends me uh, a picture of the dude in the buffalo headdress. And I'm like, this has to be fucking Photoshop. There's no way that they're in there. Like, I thought this place was like Fort Knox. Like, you're going to get shot if you try to go in there without a tour. And no, no, no. No, this really happened. No, no it, it really happened. They let him walk right through the front door. Matter of fact, you know, the mall police, you know, those people who are used to letting tourists into all the buildings for the guided tours, you know, saw all of these white people in front of them saying, we want in. And they opened the doors and let them walk right in. Now, you and then about after a hundred people or so, you know, the mall police started looking at each other and going, Oh shit, we, we screwed up. <laughs> and, you know, they closed it back up. But the thing is, is they had already let a hundred plus people in through the door. And it's like, 
yeah. So the mall police are probably going to be uh, hiring very, very soon. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I bet. You know, and you know, some of the people who did make it in were armed. You know, you, Second Amendment, uh, for the lack of a better word, patriots were some of those that got through the door. Uh, there was a small contingent from Idaho that made it through. Uh, his picture's been circulating. We've actually had one of our Republican representatives disavow him and uh, the organizations he's been associated with here oh, in the state okay. of Idaho. That, that Wait, disavow word is going to lose its meaning eventually. Everybody uses it so much. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, honestly, it, this particular Republican is one of those who's been on that side. He's been a part of those organizations. He's catered to those organizations. And he literally saw the guy standing in Senate chambers and went, yeah, I'm not good with this, <laughs> yeah, which is like a complete 180 for Idaho politicians. You know, we love the Bundys here. We love the three percenters. We love, you know, the freedom movement, you know, the liberty and some of them are stepping back going, yeah, we're not that into what's going on. So for him to actually come out and say it was like a whoa moment here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, but yeah, it, we're not sure exactly how they're going to proceed with it. Uh, but it's like I said, it, most of the people who went to Washington, D.C., and, and this is an interesting topic that was brought up. Because an awful lot of people are saying, how did it happen? Why did it happen? You know, Antifa doesn't do this. You know, but then somebody stepped back and went, you know, you know who went to Washington, D.C. and stormed the Capitol building? The nation's building, the heart of national democracy or whatever it is we want to, the statists want to call it. And they started backing up and going, the people who have been granted access to every state chamber in the United States over mask issues, you know, for the last six months, those are the people who went to Washington, D.C. and walked into the Capitol building and said no more. Except they said no more because they wanted Trump to win. And it wasn't about mask mandates. It was because my boy Trump, my boy Trump. Right. You know, uh, it's like, folks, uh, just because your king lost, you know, we all know who won was who cheated best. Nobody's going to deny that there was cheating. There was cheating on the left. There was cheating on the right. The Dems did it. The Republicans did it. The problem is, is the Dems cheated better. <laughs> but you can't get at them for that. I mean, <laughs> come on. Not unless you can prove, you know. They actually cheated in a way that hadn't been approved. But the state still selected their electors mm -hmm. by whatever means. Their electors were certified. Their electors voted on the way their legislative chambers told them to vote, which was, you know, Georgia, you're going to vote Biden. Yeah, deal with it. Pennsylvania, you're going to vote Biden. Deal with it. You know, we don't care about the count anymore. You're the electors. You're going to go. You're going to do what we did, which is the thing. You know, at what point did the United States actually switch over and say the electors weren't the decider? 
you know, we just sort of granted it that the people would vote, they would hold the primaries, they'd hold the general election. And, but at what point did we actually say the electors weren't the ones that were going to be the deciders? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Well, let me, let, here, let me put this to okay. you. So, Let's say you, you you already you went to the cafeteria for breakfast that morning. Okay, you already got your seat. You 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 went through orientation. You went to the cafeteria. You reminded of the terrible food that the government provides. Yes. And you go back to the chamber, and you're going to certify this election, and all right. all hell breaks loose. Now, what do you do in that situation? I mean, <laughs> do you do you start like you know stepping over like you know on top of your political opponents on the other side of the aisle, or do you like you know fart in their general direction? Like like how do you behave yourself? Because I know that I know someone like you is not going to be scared. So yeah, well, what, it, what it's like. Doing? Uh, here's the thing: it, it was a public rally. You know, it was a riot, and it was a riot without a plan. People just showed up and they decided, hey, let's walk into the building. And people start walking into the building. Yep. And, you know, so there was no plan. And there were people that were panicking because legitimately, you know, 435 people sitting in the Capitol building, you know, all, all but 20 of them are incumbents. You know, they all know the United States hates them because they've been screwing them over for the past 50 years. Right. You know, Joe Biden himself has been in there. How long? Mike Pence has been involved in government for 20 plus years. Pelosi yep. and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> and I loved how fast Mitch McConnell flipped sides as soon as you know, he <laughs> oh, realized yeah, U.S. citizens were inside the building. Good old um, Mitch the turtle. <laughs> right? Mitch the turtle. <laughs> but it's like, one, I'd be a brand new face. Yeah. I would have been elected there by popular demand, you know, um, the guy. And that's one of the other things I don't understand. All of these people were elected by popular count. Mm -hmm. Why are they afraid of the people? Oh, great question. Wonderful Why? Question. Yeah. They don't want to meet their fans. <laughs> well, like, I mean, especially it's like the Republicans, right? I mean, they should be like, these are our people. You know, we're on the same side of the aisle. Why were they so afraid? That's a good question. I mean, literally, any one of those Republican talking heads that were sitting in chambers literally could have got up, walked out of chambers and said, hey, man, how you doing? Look, folks, uh, we need to settle down. We need to look at a civil way of dealing with this. So I'm here right now. Let's talk about what's going on. Where, where are you on the issue that we're addressing today? And what can I do to you? do to you know explain why the situation isn't what you think it is mm. you know because i'm here in chambers i got information you don't what do you want to know you know how can i describe the current situation so that you guys don't feel like you've been cheated which is what it looks like you know straight up i got it it looks like you've been cheated but uh that's not the case we've seen the evidence we've talked it out you know we're gonna hold the vote and we're gonna do the thing because the thing is what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's talk about where we can go from here. And, and any one of them, Thomas Massey could have gotten up and done it. True. You know, Ted Cruz could have done it. You know, my own representative, Russ Fulcher, you know, the guy I will be running against in a year and a half, you know, could have done it, mm -hmm. especially considering the number of Idahoans that got through that front door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, any one of them could have walked out and said, 
guys, uh, stop trashing Pelosi's office. I got it. She's a bitch. You know, <laughs> there's classified documents there. There's national secrets. And we just can't have you, you know, photographing that, you know, get out of Mitch McConnell's email. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as much as he deserves to have that aired in the public, because it is in public domain, you know, th there's other things that people probably shouldn't be saying. So, you know, let, let, let's go sit down. Let's all go back to the cafeteria and have something. <laughs> <laughs> back to that cafeteria, man. <laughs> but seriously, nobody in those chambers should have been afraid of the people that got into the building. None of them. Yeah, it's a great point. That, should, that, that actually should tell all of us exactly how they feel about the hoi polloi. And the people that they're around all the time, because if they were actually out and about and with the people, they wouldn't have been afraid. Another fair yeah. point. Another fair point. They had guns in their faces. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, uh, inside the Capitol, somebody got shot by one of the Capitol police. Yeah, she died. She, she 16, died. Right. She, she was 16 years old. Was that the 16 year old girl? There's rumor of a 16 year old girl that was shot and died. And there's the other rumor of the 16 year veteran. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know whether it's just somebody missed a critical piece of the information or whether or not they both died as you know there were right two separate individuals who died as a result got it yeah now, um see how this was breaking down to me like i said my friend todd was going ape shit thinking that i guess the way he he pitched it to me at, while i was at work was that uh the uh, the red army had gone over the gates at the winter palace and that they were chasing alexander kerensky through the streets and that they were overthrowing the government and I thought that we that we had a genuine coup on our hands. And then I see the, the photographs. I'm like, these dopey fuckers don't have a plan. They didn't even know they were going to get in. They got in They're like, OK, now what do we do? You know, they didn't, yeah. they didn't get that far. No, they really didn't think <laughs> they're they like, could. holy shit. It was that easy. What am I going to do now? I'm not dead. Right. Okay. Now. Did, it, like, did anybody bring their copy of coup for dummies? It's like uh, <laughs> no, it's that Joe Rogan bit with the guy that got into the White House. He's like, you have to just be suicidal. You're running across the White House lawn and every step he takes. He's like, holy shit, I'm not dead yet. Oh, my God, I'm not dead yet. And then he gets into the White House and he's like, what the fuck are these people doing? But so one of the tweets I quoted last night was from a screenwriter, you know, and he writes terrorist plots, you know, how do we create this? I uh, scenario where terrorists are able to take over a government building, specifically the white house, you know, uh, that seems plausible, you know, that we can get the public to believe in, you know, what sort of back planning, you know, the, to drive up to the event itself, you know, what sort of geniuses are involved in this plan? And it's like, he had to go, what the hell, man? What do you mean they just walked in? <laughs> no, no, it's that's gonna... not how it works. You've completely trashed 50 years of, you know, movie magic, you know, in less than two hours. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and another article, William Gibson, you know, 20 years ago when he was writing cyberpunk, you know, if somebody had pitched what happened yesterday as a cyberpunk scenario for a book, most of the publishers would have laughed at him. No, no, that's that's too unrealistic. man. That, that, that's too <laughs> never going to happen. Never going to happen. Right. It's like um, all those years creating scenarios just to watch the most 
simple of plans or non-plans even, yeah. you know, <laughs> completely destroyed decades of <laughs> plot development. Yeah, it, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, seeing the reaction now. Is it now let's let's try to break down what happened yesterday. Okay. Let's let's try to break this down. Are we looking like I have a friend of mine who called them terrorists? Terrorists. Right. Okay. Then of course, uh comrade Joe Biden, who is the hero of the working class, who really cares about the people. Oh and, yeah. Uh, he mentioned the word sedition, which is a yes. uh, a very inflammatory term. It is. Uh it brings up images of Woodrow Wilson and the First World War. Okay. Um, were these people patriots or heroes? I'm definitely not in either one of those categories. I just, I mean, hero that's put, that's, that's, you know, I don't know how exactly I feel about that. I'll tell you this without giving away how exactly I feel for the purposes of avoiding a fed posting on the show, which we, (laughs) which we adhere to rigorous, uh, rigorously on this show, no fed posting whatsoever. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. the drapes didn't catch on fire. I'll be honest with you. I thought that would be the next move is like, well, we got in here. We had an absolutely fuck all nothing for a plan, but we have lighters because you know that we were fucking smoking dope in the parking lot before this went down because we all look high as fuck being in that building, especially with the headdress. That guy with the headdress really impressed me. I'm going to find out who that is. I want to get him on this show. He's our new president. It was tremendous. I was like, (laughs) hey, he's the new boss, right? He's sitting in the big chair. (laughs) But seriously, like, how do you categorize this? And now the people that carried firearms into this thing, I feel bad for you because DC is going to throw the fucking book at you because yeah. those people do not yeah. like, they don't like pellet guns, let no, alone they real, real firearms, you know? Right. Yeah. So you got the big guy with the horns and his vault tattoo and his hammer Thor, you know, all proudly <laughs> displayed on his chest. Yeah. You know, uh, identity Europa out. the oh, Is that what that is? Uh, the Vulcanet tattoo is an identity Europa thing. And oh shit! So he's like a white nationalist guy. Then he- it, I, I won't go there. I won't go there just yet. Okay. Because uh- we got a guy here in Boise who actually showed up to counter one of our BLM rallies, and uh, uh he didn't show up to counter. He just showed up mm-hmm. because that's what everybody was doing on the left, on the right. Everybody was showing up to listen to you know to the local BLM activists, you know, say their piece. But he showed up with all of his sport and all of his prison tattoos. And it's like, um, dude, I situational awareness, man. Uh, you show up in your T beater with your SS tattoos and Ooh. all of your other white nationalist, you know, prison tattoos. And uh, people are going to think things about you. They're going to say things about you. Yeah. You know. So he's he's been somewhat apologetic about that particular misunderstanding. So I'm not ready to brand anybody because of prison associations. Not saying this guy had ever been to prison and that's where he got his tattoos. Uh, But until I know more about his history, I'm not going to. Straight up say, yeah, he's white nationalist, Um, Especially considering the way that several of these multicultural, multiracial organizations have started adopting people in uh, prison tattoos, you know, included. Um, But yeah, so that's one of those things to be aware of. You know, what was his presence there? Why was it there? Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, too many of the people that I saw make it through that barrier. 
they've been identified as Trump supporters. They've been at the Trump rallies. They've waved Trump flags. You know, some of them were carrying Trump flags in the building itself. Mm-hmm. You know, so from my perspective, what I saw was crown loyalists. Uh, you know, that's a really good way to put it. They were crown loyalists. They didn't want the new king. They wanted to keep the old king. The old king was who they wanted. You know, the new king didn't make them feel comfortable. You know, so that's what it was. It was, you know, who were the loyalists? You know, were they blue loyalists or red loyalists? You know, the fact that the Republicans happen to be wearing red, you know, uh, the redcoats does apply in this situation. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, red coats versus the blue coats, you know, the new king versus the old king. Earl, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's what we saw the bulk of in the Capitol Mall that day. What we saw the bulk of were crown loyal loyalists. Now, Libertarian Party National had representatives there in the audience. Uh, several other organizations were represented that weren't necessarily Trump organizations, but they were there to register, you know, their dissatisfaction with the way things had been going, you know, some of them, it was because Mitch McConnell blew off the $2,000 in a timely manner. Uh, You know, some of them, it was because of the mask mandate, some of them, but the bulk of the occupation of the Capitol mall was the result of Trump loyalists, crown loyalists. And that's one of those things. A lot of people like myself to see good effort. Your work doesn't prove it for me though. (laughs) <laughs> right on right on uh what did you get christopher brian what were your guys take on what happened yesterday definitely wasn't the storming of the bastille uh nothing was achieved um except for four dead people unfortunately uh, what did you guys think go ahead uh i mean we already covered that they obviously didn't have a plan it didn't i mean there was no organization at all they kind of i I did see, yeah, it was like the police opened the gate. I don't, I didn't even know that they tried to close it after that. Uh, but they basically let it all happen. And it was a lot easier than they all anticipated it would be, I'm guessing. And they're like, oh shit, like, what do we do now? Uh, so, like, I'm never really a guy with a plan, but it's like, if you're going to do something like that, like, you can't half ass it because now it's like, what by like 10 p.m before that even they were like oh well like it's all reconvening we got all the people out we're just like sweeping up all the shit they left behind and we're gonna get (laughs) back onto this confirmation and it's like did you just bump their schedule a little bit like yeah nothing really that significant happened except (laughs) a bunch of memes came out of it basically as far as i'm concerned oh the memes are killing it man oh yeah the memes (laughs) are great but it's like all i can sit here and think about now is like somehow this is going to end up with uh, just as a justification for more defense spending, it's going to end up with cops getting more money. It's going to be people. It's going to be the entire rest of the nation. People that weren't even there just minding their own business are now going to pay the price and no one's going to bat an eyelash about it because they're going to be like, Oh, like, I guess we can't be trusted to do shit on our own. Maybe we do need people that are strong and in charge to tell us what's best. And it's like, no, like not at all, but that's what's going to happen. And I'm afraid of it, but it's like, and it's like a, I don't know, it's kind of a shitty analogy, but it's like collective punishment. Like it happened all the time in the military. And it's like, I asked all my buddies that I served with and I was like, Hey, like, are you ready? Like, are you ready for it? Because they're going to fuck all of us. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like no doubt about it. Even if you had nothing to do with it. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. All right. 
Um, yeah, I find a, like a lot of people's take on it, like just because of, like the polarization of our country, you know, currently, like like a lot of people's takes on this, like lack any sort of nuance. Um, you know, like you got people on both ends of the spectrum. You, know, you, you got people that are calling them terrorists and then you got, you know, people on the other side. And it's like, while I don't agree with while they were there, you know, what they were there for, like, you know, in support of Trump, like at least at least they were directing their ire at the right place like that's the one thing that i'll give them is like you went to the capital you know you went to the guy like you were you were at least you know address airing your grievances to the correct institution instead of burning down you know privately owned businesses and and stuff like that so that that's i guess that's my take like i i think they were there for silly reasons and like like you said we obviously know they didn't have a plan Mm -hmm. But at least they were directing their ire in the right direction. Like that was like the only the only positive out of the whole thing is like at least you guys took it somewhere. But in my opinion, like if they were gonna do something about it, they didn't take it far enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without Fed posting, I yeah, agree. Yeah, like yeah, I said, yeah, without fire, yeah, without Fed posting, yeah, like you don't. said, that you we all know they had lighters, you know, all of a sudden it could have been like, Oh, the Reichstag is burning, but oh what was accident? <laughs> I don't know. Right. But the other thing, I did see something, I can't remember who posted it, but they were like, There's all these minorities that have suffered under a tyrannical government for centuries yep. and never once have they done anything like this and i'm like i don't know it sounds like you're kind of jealous that you guys didn't do it first and now it's a lot easier than you realized it's like yeah it's the wrong group of people doing it but it's like they made it no problem like and also yeah if it would have been like a bunch of minority groups approaching the capital i'm sure the police would have handled it differently so for them it wouldn't have been as easy but it's like i mean you like the idea it sounds like people are more upset that they beat them to the punch than them just being upset that it happened at all. And it's like, well, I mean, you could, if you guys are really that upset, you could go finish the job. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hurry up before they make a bunch of changes well, before they reconvene. That's right. So guys, if you, if you recall correctly, uh, the right lionizes Ronald Reagan and thinks that he's this big, uh, this big freedom guy. Yeah. But if we recall correctly, all of us, um, he uh, he was the one who pushed for gun control in California after the Black Panthers stood armed on state property uh, for for really good fucking reasons. Uh, they had every right to be pissed off and they had every right to be armed, regardless of what, what was, uh, whatever came onto the books after that. And here's the thing, too. Let's consider the, the long game. So the, these guys just casually walked into this bicameral legislature yesterday. And this was after a security perimeter was extended after 9-11. <laughs> now, you might as well consider it the fucking Kremlin. Like, it's it's going to further alienate people, in my opinion. The yeah. vast majority of those individuals that are elected, who are in either chamber of Congress, they're going to be further distanced from the hoi polloi. Because now, like, back, like I, I know my kid went there a couple, like I, when he was in eighth grade because they take all the kids out there for the Washington DC trip and they get to walk through the gallery and they yeah. walk through the rotunda and stuff. That's gone. That's yeah. not coming back there. There's no fucking way they're ever going to let any of the hoi polloi walk through those. Houses. It's like, seriously, it might as well be a cathedral at this point. And that's like the religion, <laughs> like the Pharisees have decided, no, we're not going to have the unwashed coming in here ever okay. again. You know what I mean? 
I don't know. That's my take. On I don't it. know. I think that they'll still allow it. Like, you know, especially with like the kids showing up from schools and it's like a bus and things like that. Like, I think they'll allow it. I mean, I don't know why they would change that. Do you mean like as a form of propaganda? Like, you know, like, yes, come inside these hallowed halls and bend the knee. You know, the children right. are malleable still. Yeah, this I is think, true. I think this is true. partly because of that, but also partly like because they're not just going to close it to the general public to come in and see like if there's a a crowd that's mass gathering they're definitely for sure going to going to make some changes like they're not just going to allow that to happen and people like go through but they'll allow tours and stuff i'm sure they will i guess we'll find out we'll find out uh joe i want to ask you this if i had to if i if i had to press you for purchasing a square in the deadpool for joe biden uh, what would you purchase? Do you think Joe's going to see out four years of, his, of, uh, of this first term? Do you think that he's going to make it to three, two? Or do you think he's going to have an unfortunate accident while showering perhaps the day after Playing the inauguration? This dog. <laughs> this dog. I, they're going to push it back to at least uh, two or three twenty-two. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with March uh, 2022. Noted. All right. Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. We have somebody who has the confidence to pick a date. I respect that. That's right? good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kick it out to the group here. If anybody has anything else they'd like to talk about, um, and this includes you, Joe, as our guest. I don't have anything. No, thank you for asking. You're welcome. <laughs> Brian, Christopher, anybody? Yeah. I, I get nothing, man. Okay. All right. Yeah, Brian. Uh, Brian. Uh, all I can think about is I just finished reading 1984 again. Felt like Oof. a good time. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't pick a better time, honestly, I don't think. But uh, you were talking about defense spending and yeah, like occupying 150 different countries at, to some degree. And it's like, yeah, I've really – it's crazy that – I mean, I've read that book before even, but I never really thought about it as uh, – Basically, all the resources we're taking for war are resources that aren't being used in some way for, let's say, like the good of the public or Americans within right. our borders. And it's what kind of resistance do you think you would have, like, realistically to undoing all of that? Just because it's like, well, if we do have things being manufactured for war, they're either single use, like it's literally just like lighting money on fire because it's going to be a bomb that's used once and it's exploding. Right. Or a thousand for a tomahawk for a tomahawk missile. Yeah. yeah. Or it's something like uh, weapons that are going to be they'll be used for a while, but they're going to sit around for a while once they're out outdated, and then right. Or like uh, airplanes or warships that like they either sit in a graveyard or they're going to. De- to demolition and turn it into some reef or something or a museum right. exhibit so it's like that stuff doesn't come back it doesn't get recirculated it now we need more resources to replace whatever that was so that's more coming away from the people here and basically just taking up space somewhere else so we can't use it as like a surplus of anything so what do you think how hard do you think it would be to break that and undo everything that's been done to put that system in place uh, without a majority in the House and Senate that are actually anti-war, I'd say you'd need at least 15 extremely vocal individuals like myself, uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash. You know, we'd need somewhere like about 20 of us who could actually consolidate and make the arguments. 
Reason why is because the establishment has been told the United States will collapse without the war economy. Okay. Now, if you step back and take a look at the reason why that is, is right now we are working on fiat currency. We are abusing other nations of the world. We are literally saying adopt our version of these free trade agreements in order to sustain the popular way of life in the United States at a price we set or we'll go to war with you. The uh, reason why is because if we were honestly doing a true libertarian free trade agreement, you know, the value of the labor in all of those other countries would be comparable to the value of the labor here in the United States. And right now, they don't want to spend the money. Those corporations that are using our military to bully the other nations into accepting our valuation of the currency aren't willing to pay that. And they're willing to use our military to make sure that everybody agrees to our version. And unfortunately, we have too many Americans that are tied to our current valuation of global currency. And you step back and you go, well, um, we got an awful lot of people that work as baristas in the coffee shop. Okay. A lot of those people won't be working as baristas. They'll be doing agricultural labor, some sort of industrial labor, which doesn't really exist here in the United States anymore. You know, we got drivers, your Amazon drivers, they're driving around things that are made in China, in India, you know, in Africa. You know, so our entire economy literally has to be rebuilt from the ground up, which can be done. It can. And the advantage is, is we don't have the infrastructure. So we start with brand new tech, you know, but we'd be rebuilding the industry from the ground up with the brand new tech with its advantages like Tesla has done. Um, we just don't have any organizations in the United States that are willing to cut CEO uh, incomes in order to make that happen, though, right now. We aren't seeing those corporations invest back into the United States for the amount of profit that they're able to extricate from offshoring our labor right now, at gunpoint, no less. So we're going to see an awful lot of resistance from that in the corporate community, in industry, even in the unions, uh, you know, which is one of those things where you, you, you're just telling me I'm going to have to give up my entire way of life if a libertarian actually successfully gets off into office. It's like, dude, uh, you want to protest slave labor? You want to protest forced labor? Uh, you need to protest it beyond the shores of the United States. You need to protest it where it's occurring. Because as long as you're doing that, that continues to put the United States at risk. Learn to work. Take personal responsibility for the things that you eat, drink, use. You know, my laptop here. You know, we should be making these in the U.S. We should be paying Americans to make these things. Instead, we're paying Americans to serve fast food. Yeah, we can do better. We need to take personal responsibility for our economy and our industry and stop allowing corporations to offshore to other countries. Yeah, and if there's any other reason why China can actually outdo us at this moment, it's because we gave away, you know, the things that made America great. All right, fair enough. Uh, does anybody have anything else before we uh, call it a day? Angel, you sure you look perplexed over there? You all right yeah, over there? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. My my eyes are kind of dry. <laughs> <In the> so, 
in the black hole, wherever it is that you are. I the mean, void. good grief, man. It is yeah. the void. It's oblivion. Right? I, I got a quick question for you guys, Jay. Uh, so one of the things that we're talking about here is this non-event yesterday. Yes. A lot of people see it as an opportunity for recruiting into the Libertarian Party or, you know, in some cases, even the Green Party is an opposition to just what went down. Whether you hate Biden, hate Trump, hate Biden, love Trump, hate Trump, you know, whatever. How do you think the recruitment's going to be going for third and even fourth parties as we move forward? Uh, locally, I think that you'll do better. Uh, nationally, I don't think that stranglehold is going to be broken because the, you know, the partyarchy, as you know, it's been called before, that, that they're not interested in hearing uh, third opinions. They're not even interested in hearing third opinions from different wings in their party. Like, for example, if you a lot of Republicans and conservatives shit their pants over AOC, and I think that they should to an extent because she is a socialist and she is she's very, very I think she's very smart. I don't think she's a stupid like people make fun of her because she has, you know, these uh, hard left. Well, I wouldn't even call them hard left. She's not right. a communist. I'm not yet anyway. Um, but uh, I, I they even marginalized like Nancy Pelosi marginalized her. And right. Said, Shut the fuck up. You're not I'm not going to put you on committees if you keep behaving like this. Same thing like with their party went from let's defund the police, which, of course, is the black flag will indicate behind you that's music to our ears. I mean, real, real good music to our ears. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then they elected uh, the, the, the chief, uh, the chief Miss Piggy of, of California, who threw uh, parents in jail for truant school children. And one of the authors of the crime bill in 19 was in 1994. Yeah, the 1994 crime bill. So you and the, the uh, prototype for the anti-terrorism bill that became the Patriot well Act in 2001. Well yes, sir. So I don't see any of this moving because I think I mean, I know it's a conspiracy theory for a lot of people, but I really do believe these people swill sherry on the weekends and smoke cigars and trade prostitutes with each other that may or may not be underage. Uh, I really don't think that uh, I think that if you guys if you guys want to see any modicum of success, it should be a focus on legitimately grassroots local level stuff, because right. if we're talking about decentralization, you might as well treat Washington, D.C. as a foreign capital. You might as well at this point in time. It's not even America anymore. And, and it certainly isn't going to look like America here in the next couple of years, especially after yesterday's non-event, because they're going to use that as a catalyst to further uh, uh, entrench the police state in that area alone. Because, like I said, this is a hallowed cathedral that they have and they don't want any of the, hoi, the unwashed, the hoi boy going in there. But as, a, as far as a recruiting tool... Uh, you know, I see a lot. I see a lot of opportunity for people with radical opinions to be recruited here to realize that uh, these uh, these milk toast uh, candidates that they vote for every four years are have more in common with each other than they realize. Uh, they're all rich. They're all old. Most of them are white. Uh, they offer nothing in the form of diversity, of opinion, of background, like. I don't understand how someone who could consider themselves a working class union guy, which I am, by the way, I'm a member of uh, the Communication Workers of America. Uh, I don't see how you as a as a blue collar union worker can have any kind of warm feelings to a guy who has enriched himself on the back of the working class for 40 years and has now finally decided to, quote, fix things. 
I don't I don't right. know how that works. I really don't. I I, I mean <laughs> I have no idea how this works. I don't know how you could be so gulled into thinking that this is like real, like that they actually give a shit. Right. Um if I if I were in your shoes, if I was a a, a party person, if I was uh if I was somebody who was still willing to work with what we have, I would definitely try to step up my recruitment game. And, you know, as far as the like, it'd be great to see if you had I would love it if we had two additional parties and just made a mockery of, of the other of the of the two standing now, like completely obstructionist politics. Right. Anytime the two of them try to get together, you just actually like what did George Carlin say? People is lead, follow, get out of the way. I obstruct. So get in the way. I think that that's a good opportunity and you shouldn't um, nobody should turn their nose up at it because. It is a good opportunity. They treated Trump as a third party candidate, essentially. He might have been. He might have been. Um, but he's still rich. He still really doesn't understand what it's like to what is it that Angel used to tell me all the time, making life decisions at the gas station. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> none of these right. none of these people have any and that's not from a left wing Marxist perspective. Like that's there's another thing too, is when you're talking about working class people, working class people have a better understanding of how this shit works than uh, educated individuals in the university and academia. Because oh, the yeah. people in academia still believe in the pipe dream. The they people who are, who are driving the trucks and doing the home motor work and all that other shit, they, 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 they've seen it in their paycheck and they know that it's bullshit. So I, I would take this as an opportunity. Why not? At least to, it, like we, a big theme that was running through our community, I'm sure that you've seen it yourself, was the idea of radicalization. Let's yeah. take this opportunity to radicalize as many people as possible. I mean, really, let's, why not? And if that, if they choose to, uh, you know, get a party card and get involved, great, good for them. Uh, that's, that's how they want to go about it. Or if they, uh, if they want to come over here to the dark side of the force, then by all means, I mean, the, 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 the seats are warm. So uh, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I don't know about the rest of the gang. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm yeah, I, I agree with you, Jay. Um, I mean, I feel like, like it, on a national level, the Libertarian Party is just toothless, especially like as long as you got people like fucking like Nicholas Sarwark like running his fucking mouth. Um, <laughs> I I can't. I have so much disdain for that guy. I can't help myself. Like, I think he's such. He I think he's not only an idiot but a fucking coward. Um. But like, like Jay said, like, you, you know, grow it on a grassroots level, start it local, you know, and that's that's the only way that you're really going to to see any sort of momentum is to do that, like in, you know, make changes locally and, the, and then just grow from there and try and try and build some momentum. But like right now, as, as a national platform, like like the libertarian party is just absolutely toothless and it's like it it breaks my heart to say that because like i'm like i'm a, I'm a former like you know political like libertarian uh, uh guy you know who who don who wound up donning the black flag so um but yeah like i said just on, on a national level they're toothless like you got to start grassroots you got to go local you got to make you got to make changes where changes actually affect people and, and just go from there and just try and snowball it, you know. I and to follow up what he said, um, uh, Joe, if you recall correctly, 
when Ross Perot got up there, I think it was for the 92 election when Bush yeah. was running against Clinton and mm-hmm. he bought his own airtime and he got out that for that chart. And he was like, I'm going to show the American people how your, your government is screwing you. Right. <laughs> and I firmly believe that there was a sit down, like a mafia style sit down. Like, you know, you essentially had two different factions of the mafia sitting down. So you had Tony Soprano on one side and then you had uh, Johnny Sack from the New York family. They both sat down over uh, grandmama's gravy and macaroni. said, (laughs) This is absolutely the last time we're ever going to allow this to happen to us. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This isn't like I we don't we don't attack our own. We don't attack our own. This is not. This is not an attack on what you believe in what you're doing at all. Not at all. No, 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 no. Not, not at, at all. all. But these people are not like it's hard to win in a game where they make all of the rules. And I think absolutely that when you're doing things in Idaho for your local community, even if you were running for like state office or something like that for a seat in the, a seat in the state uh, legislature, it, you're far more accessible to your constituents there than you would be in that foreign capital that now is Washington, D.C., because absolutely, even if you look at the polling over the years, people still have confidence in their state government far more than they do, obviously, in their federal government. That's not mm-hmm. even a discussion, but they still have some modicum of faith in their state because it's 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 the appearance not maybe not the appearance, but the actuality of accessibility. You know what I mean? You're not 2000 miles away on the East Coast where you have to make an appointment and then you have to get through security. Then you have to travel there. You know what I mean? You're yeah. in state accessible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if somebody got uh, not from you, but let's say, you know, Frank Jones uh, sends uh, they're one of the constituents, one of those stupid form letters when you write, like you're really pissed off. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you voted for gun control, you piece of shit. And then they write you back to thank you so much for contacting my office. <laughs> I appreciate your support. You know what I mean? One of those stupid right. letters. You can right. actually drive to their office and say, hey, asshole, I'm holding this up. Why, yeah, this is bullshit. You're letting me in. I'm going to talk to you about this. You know what I mean? I think that um, I think that you'd fare better not to deter you from what you were doing, because if you did make it that far, if you made it to the to the big uh, to the big show out there, like I said, the, you could always be an obstructionist. And I have a lot of affection for people who hold up tyranny, at least putting the roadblocks in there to slow that son of a bitch down. So I wish you nothing but the best and I wish you all the success in the world. So I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has anything to add uh, to your question. Uh, I'm sorry to cut anybody off, but I just started remembering as soon as Chris said so, I was like, oh, shit, Ross Perot. Remember? <laughs> you know? So I mean, I, it was I, a great point, too. So I beg your pardon, everybody. Uh, go ahead. Anybody else, please. Uh, I, I've spoke my piece. <laughs> all I all I could think about is that. I mean, we've been saying for at least a year now it's like ah if you haven't if you haven't opened your eyes already like i don't know what to tell you i don't know what more you want and then yesterday happens and it's like ah they just keep fucking teeing these up for you and it's like i don't know what more you want at this point (laughs) you can't see how absolutely hilarious this all is like how much of a joke these systems are that they say are like this is sacred this is how we do government and it's just like oh it fell apart that easily it's a literal house of cards like what the hell and if uh, if people can't see that, I don't know what it's going to take. I well, don't understand. And the it's- irony is, is, is this all went down less than two months after the election. Yeah. 
I, I mean, not even two months. These are the people they elected two months ago, and they're already showing up on their doorstep dissatisfied. It's like, <laughs> what, what do you expect from the next two years, folks? Right. Uh, do right. you really expect oh, to be happy about what's going to happen over the next two years? I expect things to get so much worse. Oh, it's, right. like, yeah. ah, it's like, what are you going to do? I guess we'll just sit here and watch it happen. Like, fuck. Uh, yeah. Yep. Buckle up, mate. Buckle try up, to, boys. Try yep. to grow my own food. <laughs> yeah. Grow your own food and get a 3D printer and. Uh, right. Come no, here, about buying Bitcoin because that shit's way out of your league. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Time to buy has passed. I missed. <laughs> right. I missed the shot. I still don't understand Bitcoin. I keep oh. I read about it and I'm like, what? And then I read it again and I'm like, what? I don't get it. I don't know. I'm not stupid either. I just it it just I, I can't grasp the concept. I don't I don't know. Well, that makes you're not the only one I can tell you <laughs> that much. We've had Sally Agar the Agoris come on the show twice. And even then I start to feel like steam coming out of my ears because I'm like, <laughs> God damn, I feel yeah, you know, you... <laughs> here, here's the beautiful thing I love about blockchain and Bitcoin and all of the rest of those is we have millions of computers around doing the Bitcoin mining. And somewhere out there is this repository of all of these crypto keys that all of these computers are generating. <laughs> and I'm going, there's a pirate out there that you're handing the keys to literally every database <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I'm going, you guys go guys <laughs> raise the black flag folks raise the black flag is somebody's gonna walk away with all that <laughs> outstanding outstanding i love it um uh, everybody else you guys good we're ready to close it up yeah okay i would like to thank our guest one more time idaho joe joe evans uh and he has a website that's idaho joe for the number four congress.org Please check it out. It will be in our show notes. Uh, I'd like to wish everybody uh, uh, a happy new year. This is our first show of the, of the new year. So uh, very exciting news to start the year. Just when you thought it wasn't going to get interesting. Uh, hang on a bit. I also like to give a shout out to uh, one of our uh, listeners out there in the state of Washington. Uh, I appreciate the email that you sent in to us. Thank you very much, Elliot. Uh, you're welcome to write us anytime. Use guys in that at gmail.com. And of course, once again, to our most loyal listener, Paul B. from B-Town, who is the anarchist warlord of B-Town, who hates barbed and chicken as much as we do. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Joe, it's been a real pleasure. Yes, yes chicken. Yes, Thank you, Jay, Brian, Chris, Angel. So glad to be on the show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, man. It was awesome. It's our pleasure, man. Take care of yourself, and we wish you nothing but the best. You too. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.